Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, coming to you from Rome. I am very pleased to have with me good friends of mine from Estonia, a Catholic couple from Estonia with seven children who are probably one in a million. Estonia is about a million people, so stay tuned. This is going to be very interesting. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Varo Vuglade and Helena, welcome to LifeSite News. This is John Henry Weston's show. Very pleased to be here. Thank you. May God bless you. They have come to uh, Rome for the Acces Ordinata, this, this demonstration to... Uh, to sp stand for the faith, for the truth of the faith. But let's start learning, first of all, about yourselves. If you can tell us a little bit about yourselves and about your homeland in, in Estonia, that would be great. Well, Estonia is a very small country in, uh, in northern or eastern Europe. It, it's bordering Latvia and Russia, and we have uh, one of our neighbors, Finland. So it's really the corner of Europe. Uh, and uh, what is, of course, very characteristic of Estonia these days is that uh, after 500 years of Protestantism and uh, 50 years of Communism, uh, hardly anything is left of uh, Catholic culture in Estonia. So uh, the Catholic population is about 0.1% of the society. We have uh, literally less than 4,000 Catholics living uh, in Estonia, in a country which has a population of 1.2 million. So, uh, so from the Catholic perspective, it's really a wasteland, we could say. But nevertheless, you know, God's grace operates everywhere, so, uh, so it's, uh, uh, it's our task to do something about this situation, and that's what we are trying to do. When it comes to us, then, uh, well, uh, we are a married couple with uh, seven children. Our youngest is about eight months, our oldest is 16. And uh, I'm a lawyer by profession. Helena has been uh, studying philology, Estonian philology, and has been teaching in the school also... Uh, uh, moral philosophy. I myself worked in the university for a number of years teaching the philosophy of law, but now for the past three years I've only been working for our foundation, which is about defending uh, Catholic or natural law principles in the society. So that's in a nutshell. How difficult is it to be, are, uh, is, it, is it common to have large families in Estonia? Um, I wouldn't say so because actually uh, I've been complaining to everybody here that basically I have no one to learn from because I am the biggest Catholic family, <laughs> the mother of the biggest Catholic family in Estonia. And, you know, uh, when it comes to homeschooling, I've, I've homeschooled um, my firstborn uh, for four years and uh, then I was the only Catholic homeschooling family. <laughs> so, you see, uh, so... Um, we have some community, but not uh, as much as you do in the States and Canada, perhaps. So that's why I use Instagram, <laughs> mom blogs, Catholic mom blogs, basically. That's, uh, that's my community, my second community. So yeah. that's where I get my information about this big family life. Are there lots of large families in Estonia at all? Are there any? Uh, not really. I mean, there are any. There are some, of course, but uh, not uh, among people we know, really. There is one family we know, 
who has more than 10 children. But apart from that, uh, when we talk about families of our age, you know, parents of our age, then we don't know, I think, anyone who would have uh, even more than five children, I think. So, so, uh, so it is very uncommon to have a family of seven children, even though, as we have uh, become friends with people from the United States, we see that having seven children is basically like a medium family in Catholic <laughs> traditional circles. <laughs> Now, you have both um, cottoned on to the faith in a very strong way. Did you both grow up Catholic? How did you come to such a vibrant faith? Well, we can only hope to have vibrant faith and we're working on it. But, uh, <laughs> you do from this end. <laughs> but, uh, well, we weren't born into a Catholic family. Uh, out of our generation, almost no one was born into a Catholic family. And that's really striking, I think, to many people. To, it has been striking to ourselves to realize this, that in our generation almost no one was born into a Catholic family. So at the end of the 80s, at the end of uh, the time of communism, uh, uh, there were hardly any Estonian families in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church in Estonia was referred to as the Polish Church. So, so only old Polish ladies went to, went to the Catholic Church, really. And it was only at the beginning of 80s, uh, end of 70s, beginning of 80s, that uh, the first Estonian young Catholics, uh, young people started converting to the Catholic faith. And among... Through music? Fr through music, mostly, yes. Uh, medieval, old, uh, old music. And uh, it was my godfather, uh, Taivo Nietwegi, who uh, was a friend of my mother also. Uh, and due to his conversion, my mother also converted to the Catholic faith. So... Uh, Although I was baptized in the Lutheran Church, uh, my mother took me to the Catholic Church before I knew myself, really. So as far as I can remember, I've always been a member of the Catholic Church, which is a great blessing, of course. But the story of Helena's conversion is quite different. So. Well, I would like to come back to this um, uh, conversion through music, this uh, godfather, Daivo, who's actually like a spiritual godfather for me also. Uh, he actually he was studying in the music academy in Estonia, and... Uh, uh, as it was the Soviet times, and they were taught that there was no music, basically, like no serious music before Bach. So, and then there was this one professor who said, come to my place and I will speak to you. I will tell you what there was before Bach. So, basically, we can thank this one man who told them that there was religious music, masses being written, and explain it all. So... He converted basically through music uh, and, and took us all along. Uh, but my conversion story is actually through, uh, it's strongly connected to Varo's mother, uh, Kerstini Gesen, who is, um, who is kind of, what should I say, like an educational guru in Estonia, kind of. But she, has, uh, she has established this Christian school and along with it, the small Catholic private school. Uh, and we, we were the first generation there. So she basically decided that she will not send her son to the Soviet school system in the 80s. When I needed to go to school. Yeah. And she and a few other Catholic friends, Taiwan uh, again, and, uh, and a few more, they came together and they started discussing like how, how should it be, what it, should it be like. And I went to that school. Uh, I was a couple of years younger than, than he was. We know each other from the age of four and six. Mm. So, um, and I went to that school and the first song that I learned in that school was Ave Maria in Latin. And I'm not kidding you. It was the Soviet times. It was 19, uh, 
89. And that's the first song I learned. And I was not a Catholic. I had no idea that it was going to lead us here. Yeah. And again, it's for music. And, and this school has kind of provided um, a gate to the Catholic Church for many uh, through different subjects, actually. Art, music, literature. And, uh, and the community is growing, actually, through this school mainly. What, what led you though to go from, what were you before? Um, I was Lutheran, I guess, because my grandmother converted to, she was baptized actually when she was born, uh, but then it was the Soviet time, she, was, she said that she was kind of a communist <laughs> when she was 16, and then when, uh, in the 80s, everybody started thinking about uh, faith again. And she was a Lutheran. I was also reading my children's Bible, and I was trying to... Uh, <laughs> I even tried to levitate <laughs> at one point. I, my faith was really big, actually, and strong. I, I hoped I could fly like Jesus <laughs> to the heaven, just if, if my faith was strong. So I tried to jump <laughs> off a, a table. <laughs> it didn't succeed. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and actually, you were baptized also as a Lutheran, weren't you? So. Well, I was baptized as a Lutheran, but what people, again, probably don't understand is that uh, after 500 years of Protestantism and 50 years of communism, uh, you are born into a completely broken society. And it is really sad. And uh, even many people who have converted to the Catholic faith, they realize that it is actually tragic, the situation we are in and where we are coming from. So, so um, I mean, we ourselves are part of it. We are, <laughs> in a way, products of this... Uh, this brokenness in the sense that uh, my mother was married uh, uh, before uh, she married to my father. My father was married before, so they are both, so to say, married for the second time. And although my mother converted to the Catholic Church, uh, Catholic faith already uh, in the 80s, she has been going to the Catholic Church for 30 years without receiving communion once and repenting, you know, the, the mistake she has made before uh, converting to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And for me, this has always been a great source of inspiration and respect because what we see among the modernists and the liberals is that they want the church to change because they have made mistakes in life and they want their mistakes to be accommodated into the church so the faith has to be changed in order for you to feel better in the church but my mother is uh, exactly the i mean an example of the exact opposite uh, mindset and attitude you know she's, she knows that mistakes are mistakes and uh, it's not the church that needs to change, it's yourself who needs to, uh, who needs to repent and change. So, so this, uh, for me, has been always a very, very impressive and very humbling uh, lesson, I think. Yeah, I would like to add that she's praying a daily rosary. You know, she's mm, living a Catholic life as far as she can. Yeah. I really think she's a very holy woman, so, so, so she's really a good source of inspiration to many. Yeah, indeed, she's now babysitting our five children at home, <laughs> although she's actually still the leader of the school oh, wow. and, and the small St. Michael's school. Incredible examples that, that bring you to faith. Now, with a large family, you've been struggling to live the Catholic life in, in Estonia, where it's very difficult, no community really, uh, at least if your own age, in the same sort of similar situation. Um, and yet you're a great fighter for Estonia, for the faith in Estonia. You love your nation. Um, you've, got a, you've got a show. We're going to show a clip of that. But why don't you tell us about your show? 
Uh, well, yes. I mean, we have been very much inspired by LifeSite in what we do in Estonia. So, we, you know, we could say that we have a small, small uh, LifeSite <laughs> operated in Estonia, of course, under a completely different banner. But I think you have been really a big source of inspiration for us in what we do in Estonia. So just to get, just to give truth a podium, you know, just to have at least one medium where Catholic principles, Christian principles and natural law principles could be uh, defended and promoted openly without reservations and without any sense of, uh, I don't know, embarrassment or sort of uh, insecurity. So, uh, to a large extent, what we do is similar to what you do, with a, with a difference, of course, that we operate in a society which is completely not Catholic. So we have to be able to somehow speak the language uh, of the, which the society understands. And although we never, of course, hide the fact that we are Catholics, we have to be able to present our arguments in ways which uh, cannot be refuted by those who don't share our belief system also. So, um, yes, so the portal we run is called Objective. We have news, we have commentaries, and we also put a lot of emphasis to producing video material just to discuss uh, temporary problems um, uh, from the Catholic and uh, Christian and natural law perspective. So that's what we do uh, on a constant basis. Now, I th found it very interesting that you've, you've recently um, garnered some political attention. Um, if you would tell the story about the, was it a minister or a politician coming to your studio, so-called studio, and describe your studio, if you will. I think it's really inspirational because a lot of people um, are, are trying or thinking about doing some little effort that's able to get out there. And your little effort uh, really has uh, in, affected your country right now. Yes, I think it's safe to say that our portal has become the main uh, conservative Christian uh, media outlet in Estonia. So, so, so with the little resources we have had, we've managed to do quite a lot. And the story you referred to, yes, it was somewhat funny in the sense that I invited the Minister of Foreign Affairs to our studio to have a, an interview with him. And yes, I, I've known him for years and um, we get along well. So he came to the studio, he had never been there. And then he walked into the room and he looked around and he asked me quite honestly, and that's it? That's all you have? <laughs> I said, well, yes, that's all we have. So uh, uh, in a way, the story is inspirational, inspirational in the sense that uh, very often you can do very much with very uh, little resources when your aims are correct. It looks so impressive. I have to tell you, a lot of, a lot of what we're doing was inspired by you. I mean, when we saw what you guys were doing and you described it to me, I thought, whoa, that's incredible. So it was, uh, anyway, it's a real blessing. I, I can't understand a thing of what you're saying on your show, of course, because it's all in Estonian, but uh, it, it certainly looks amazing. Um, let's talk about the why you're here now. So you brought a, a couple of your kids to Rome. Why did you come? And uh, and really, what was the Accia's Ordinata about for you? Well, the Accia's Ordinata, first of all, was about the profession of our faith. I think, first of all, that's what it was. It was a public profession of fidelity to the doctrine of the Catholic Church, to the tradition of the Catholic Church and to the majesty of the Catholic Church. 
So uh, that was the main reason we came here. It was also the main reason why my best friend and colleague uh, Markus Järvi just traveled here for the Aces Ordinata, is to stand there with our friends, with our allies, and to give uh, testimony of uh, the fidelity of the, to the tradition and the doctrine of the church. So in this time of great confusion, of this time where errors are really spreading not only in the world but also in the church, I think it is uh, quite obvious to many people now it's no secret anymore and um, we shouldn't actually uh, be afraid to say it openly and loudly. Uh, it is very important for us to, not only in our hearts and in our spirit to be faithful, but also publicly um, show that we are not afraid to say, even against uh, a lot of hostility, that we will not give up our fidelity to what we know to be the truth, uh, which is, of course, the central pillar of the Catholic Church. So um, uh, this is the main reason, really. I mean, I, I suppose we all came for this reason, but it has to be said very openly that uh, we have an obligation these days as traditional faithful Catholics to, uh, to speak out against the errors and the confusion, as Cardinal Burke also told us yesterday, that uh, this is a moral obligation not only of uh, cardinals, not only of bishops, but also of the laity. Of course, we have to always uh, remain respectful uh, towards the Petrine, Petrine office but, uh, and, uh, and cardinals and bishops, but nevertheless, uh, our first uh, obligation is that, uh, to, uh, that we owe to, to the truth, really. So that's, uh, as we know from the example of uh, St. Thomas More, I think... Um, that's quite obvious, but I don't know, what would you, what you, what would you say? Where did I come? <laughs> uh, as we discussed before, a couple of nights before, that Rome is actually a huge part of our family life. Uh, Thirteen years ago, when we first came to Rome, mm, it was actually the beginning of kind of a conversion or reversion, or taking our faith more seriously. Uh, walking on the same streets uh, where Peter and Paul did, uh, visiting the catacombs. Uh, and we were, back then we were expecting our second child, our son, and he's in Rome with us now. So we kind of had this reunion. And also he met his like main um, ally and friend and colleague, Marcus Järvi, whom he mentioned. Uh, they met, they actually met in Rome. Back then he was studying to become a priest, he was in the seminary. In Rome, and we, I knew him, kind of, I, I've heard, I, I had heard that he's studying here. So we uh, arranged a meeting with him, and we actually met on St. Peter's Square for the first time. Mm. And he took us to St. Peter's, to visit St. Peter's tomb, go to Mass in uh, Vatican. So that's, uh, that's our first visit. We climbed the uh, Scala Sancta also together. Yeah, I can add that it's actually really a wonderful story that my best friend and my uh, closest ally in Estonia with whom we have built up our foundation and our portal also, uh, it is true that uh, although we are both from Estonia, uh, we met for the first time on St. Peter's Square uh, early in the morning, 6.30 I think, yeah, yeah. before entering this, uh, the Basilica. And when we walked the, uh, walked the streets of Strastevere, I remember us discussing that we really need to start doing something in Estonia also to defend our uh, ideals, to defend the ideals of our Catholic faith and so on. But it was only years later when he uh, came back to Estonia, uh, having realized that he didn't have the priestly vocation after all. 
that we started collaborating and really building up the counter-revolutionary movement in Estonia. So it was an interesting and beautiful story, I think. There's actually this, this one moment. Uh, we were kind of like all the three of us, we were revisiting all those moments that we had together and I, I kind of remember all of it, all of it. And, and we were just discussing with Markus when we had the Seven Churches pilgrimage. Now, that on this street, you said this and that. You said, on these streets, St. Peter and Paul, they walked. You can touch the stones, you see. <laughs> and then we visited his um, seminary. And under the seminary, the, there was this basement uh, uh, where they had um, kind of exposed the, the original street level. And he said, you can touch it. It's, it's probably the stones that they actually walked on. You know, it's like uh, three meters below now. And... I remember that moment was it like, okay, this is it. This is the faith. It's here. It's, it's here. It's, it's in Rome. I can now touch it. I've been, you know, believing. Uh, blessed are those who believe and they don't see it, right? I'm here now. I see it now. Yeah. Kind of like eyes opening. And I remember we discussed that it's like, you know, St. Thomas sticking the finger in our Lord's side. Mm. And this time it was quite symbolic, actually, that we went to the, uh, to the church to actually see the the finger yeah. that touched our Lord's side. So that's kind of like uh, closing the, the story. And, and it's also interesting in the sense that uh, um, yes, about four months later, four, three months later, our son was born in August, uh, in the month of August. His name is also August <laughs> after St. Augustine. Uh, when I really had the moment where I had sort of a conversion of heart in the sense that I was uh, holding him uh, in my lap after he was born. The doctors were still uh, <laughs> taking care of you. I was walking in the corridor and all of a sudden I realized that now, now, now something really needs to be done. I had tears in my eyes, re I remember, because I understood that while I'm walking here in this corridor with holding my son in my lap, perhaps some other children are being killed one floor below. Because in Estonia, it's a sad situation that you don't have a single hospital where you could go uh, to give birth to your child where they wouldn't also pre uh, perform abortions. So absolutely all the sort of, we call them the, you know, birth houses, it's probably not the correct uh, <laughs> English expression, maternity but ma maternity wards, yes, are also the centers of abortion. So uh, at least that's much better in the United States, as I understand, that you have abortion clinics separately, that you don't actually go to an abortion clinic to... <laughs> So this, is, this was a horrible realization for me, and uh, I really f remember that uh, that's when I was decided that, okay, uh, we really need to do something about the situation in Estonia too. I think it was uh, like simultaneously with this uh, story of coming to Rome and actually realizing that we have to take our faith uh, really seriously, uh, and our son being born. Mm, I also had like problems with my father, actually, who's now married for the fourth time, married. So to say. Yeah, so I was, uh, and I'm still working on it, like how to <laughs> kind of convert him. Uh, he's kind of uh, like a living proof of this uh, Soviet legacy. He's a professor of, uh, of mathematics. He's, he's, not, he's a wise guy, he should be. So I went to our bishop, who's a faithful man in a way, and I asked, what, what can I do? And he said, start reading so that you can defend your faith, because we had these huge arguments with my father, you know. And I could say, oh... Well, that's what I believe anyway. <laughs> so uh, he, gave, uh, he gave two names in the beginning. It's like, you have to start somewhere. So it's maybe G.K. Chesterton, Orthodoxy, and C.S. Lewis, 
he gave us two names and then we started ordering books and I remember uh, for a while we were living in Finland and there those little um, holes in the door when uh, for which they <laughs> they post you know letters and and small uh, parcels so I remember when Summa came <laughs> it didn't fit <laughs> it didn't fit uh, it's not a conformistic thing yeah so but now we have a huge library of classical catholic literature and we have uh, we have been ordering all those from you know the united states and and the uk because you know we don't have estonian classical catholic literature we don't have it we we don't even have a catechism in estonia we have the compendium that's it so you've been a, a sort of a, a heroic catholic family in a time when it's a it's difficult to be a catholic family but i remember you know growing up and having our kids were a little bit older than you and we still got some young ones but when our top kids now who are in their 20s were young we had um yes some issues with our you know priests sometimes bishops and so on in canada who weren't necessarily all that supportive of pro-life who who might not even have been all that supportive of large families but you always had the pope um, John Paul II was very much a defender of life and encourager of large families. And, you know, we were, I was able to meet him back in 93 and just, it was amazing. And he was always such a support. When LifeSite started, it was always, well, your priest or your bishop might not agree, but the Pope's got your back. You've had a very similar experience, at least vis-a-vis, Benedict and, and, and now uh, Pope Francis. You can describe a little bit of that, both from a family perspective, but also from your ministry or from your apostolate, what, you know, what it's been like. I don't know if you, you were already running your apostolate before uh, Pope Francis came in or what that was doing, but was, did you notice an effect, a change from one to the other, or has it pr- basically been very, fairly similar? No, no, of course we noticed the differences because the differences have been huge and uh, sometimes people say that perhaps it wasn't so clear from the very beginning when Pope Francis took the office. But uh, for us, it was, uh, for me personally, it was very, very clear from the very beginning because I remember the day when it was announced that uh, Pope Francis was elected as the Pope and I had just one of my friends visiting Estonia, uh, a friend of mine who is from South America, and he's a very joyful person, a very like a sunshine, you know, always shining, always happy, very talkative, uh, very good person, really. And I have never seen him like this. He was visiting us, and he fell apart basically. The man was basically devastated when when he heard that uh, Cardinal Bergoglio had been elected as the Pope. And although I know, knew nothing about the man, really, I mean, I didn't know about all those plans of making him the Pope already before uh, Cardinal Ratzinger was elected as the Pope and so on. Uh, so I, for me, it was a completely new name. But I already saw that, okay, if he's so devastated by the news, then we must have a serious problem waiting for us. And of course he told that, well, I'm com- I come from uh, Latin America, I've lived in Brazil for a number of years, I know exactly who the man is. I've followed church politics in Brazil, in Argentina, all the other countries, I know exactly what awaits for us. So just wait and see, wait and see. Because uh, he didn't even say much, he didn't say that, you know, he did this or he did that, but, 
but I can remember so clearly the way how he really was absolutely devastated. So, so for me it was obvious from the very beginning that something's very, very seriously wrong. But, uh, but of course, you, you spoke about John Paul II. Uh, for us also, he was a, 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 an immense source of inspiration. Well, he visited Estonia, yes, that's true. Also, uh, we went to uh, his mass on, uh, on the Rathaus Square uh, in Tallinn, at the very heart of, uh, old, uh, old, of the old town. And also, we translated and published in Estonian uh, his Evangelium Vitae, which was such a big source of inspiration for us. You know, I, I, can, uh, <laughs> I can remember m much of it by heart, you know, not, not literally, I cannot quote it, but I know what uh, passage talks about what, and I've read it so many times, I've quoted it so many times in my lectures, in my writings, everywhere. And... Uh, you know, the way he speaks to bishops, for example, that you bishops are obliged to be uh, relentless defenders of life, of the family, of everything. You know, it, it was uh, just so beautiful that at the heart of his attention was always innocent human life and family. And it was the absolute core of his mission as the Pope. And now when we look at the difference, what we are seeing, comparing this period to the, uh, to the present day, then we see that it's the opposite, really. You know, we can, see, uh, we can see all kinds of processes in the church which are aimed against the church and family. You know, James Martin and, you know, continuing with the rest of the, rest of the crowd. But, uh, but uh, when was the last time we saw or heard the leadership of the, of the church really bravely and openly defending family and life? You know, we can think of about, about the referendums in Ireland, for example. And we can only imagine what Pope John Paul II would have done in those situations. You know, he would have called every single Catholic, all the bishops, do everything you can to avoid the destruction of family, do everything you can to avoid the legalization of the murdering of unborn babies. And there was a complete silence. So, so it's just a matter of fact. It's not a matter of opinion. There is a huge contrast. So, uh, so it is very sad. Uh, but it cannot be denied, and it really shouldn't be denied. <laughs> we should be open about it. What did they call it last year? The silence uh, that kind of cries out or something that uh, you can De hear the silence, deafening silence. <laughs> the deafening silence yeah. Yes, yeah. deafening silence. And I remember last last autumn we we actually like straight after the scandals. The Pope visited Estonia, and to the like the very last day, I, I thought that they would cancel the visit. Like that that was the first visit he was going to have after the scandal, and I thought that they would take their time, stop the show discuss and answer the questions but the silence was really deafening and I was crying every day listening to you know LifeSide, uh, uh, Taylor Marshall, uh, reading to uh, Vigano, Phil Lawler, yeah, uh, praying, praying, praying and crying and hoping that he would not come before he has said anything or before our bishop has said anything about the scandal which never happened actually. And it went on like, you know, festive celebrations, the Pope is coming, everything is fine. Mm. So I was quite hurt, actually, yeah. by the situation. Uh, let me add one more thing we, uh, about the contrast, about the change, uh, which is uh, very painful to us as lay Catholics also uh, fighting in Estonia to defend Catholic ideals, because what we see more and more often is that the liberal media actually attacks us by saying that, uh, well, uh, you seem to be more Catholic than the Pope, right? Mm -hmm. Because didn't you hear what the Pope said? Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge uh, homosexual relations? So why are you so so against it? You know. So 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 uh, this is very painful actually because uh, it would be 
such a blessing to be able to be a knight for the Pope. You know, you fall on your knees in front of the Pope or, the card or a cardinal or a bishop and you say, Your Excellency, Your Eminence, Your Holiness, just tell us what we need to do to defend our Catholic faith, the most important moral principles, and we will go and fight and do all you ask us to do. But right now we have the opposite position, opposite situation, that you are a soldier of Christ, you, you want to fight, but you hear all the time when looking above your shoulder that your officers, you know, they either don't seem to care very much about those principles or they are saying things which your enemies are using against you. So it almost feels like they are giving ammunition to your enemies to shoot at you. So this is, a, this is a, not only a sad, but actually a very painful, a very pain, painful realization and uh, something which has really, I think, caused a lot of damage to, to, to count Catholic counter-revolutionary movement all over the world. I, I really think so. I, I think that's an incredible image, uh, the, the battle image that you gave. You and, and the laity, and I, I think particularly of holy Catholic families, um, like I think you are, and you might object, but um, but that is the front line. Those are the, 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 the troops that go out. It's the clergy and, and the, the Holy Father who are the generals from behind who are supposed to be giving us the orders. And of all people, you would be willing to carry them out or lost so many faithful Catholics who would die for the faith, who would love to die for the faith in a way, who feel so much given to it that they will be that example in the world that will have uh, openness to life despite being condemned for it, who will tell their brothers and sisters who are practicing a lifestyle that's harmful for their bodies and their souls that it's wrong to do that in love, but they'll tell them anyway, who will help the woman who's in an unplanned pregnancy to go through with that anyway and try and ensure that that doesn't happen again by being loving and telling them the truth. They're out there going to do that, willing to take the hit of, you know, being called a hater and a bigot or whatever. But as you said, from behind, from the generals and the officers in the army are coming the lies of the enemy, the weapons given to the enemy such that they'll be using it to harm us. And sometimes even there comes a stab from the back. Um, let's close off with a couple last questions. One, I wanted to ask you, was there a pilgrimage you did with your daughter or something like that? Yes, the pilgrimage that you did with your daughter. How did that go? You did. A, you brought your daughter, your little daughter. Along. Oh yes, that yes. one here. <laughs> that one. Okay, 25 kilometers. 25 kilometers. Uh, in Rome, seven churches. Uh, with an eighth-month-old baby. But we also have a 13-year-old son with us. And I also have my husband, who was quite heroic. Even uh, climbed the Scala Santa with the baby. I don't know if many people do that. And, and I, I, he don't was know, I don't know <laughs> if many people around me like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and our boy did it twice, like two rounds. One for the, uh, once for the older sister and once for the younger sister. So that was quite moving, quite touching. And, uh, and also, you were carrying the baby, like, because... The baby seemed to not like the stroller or the wrap, so he heroically carried her for half the road. So that was May a huge blessing. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's not heroic in the sense that uh, 
going back to what you said before, I think very many Catholic men and men in general long for the possibility to suffer for something good, uh, long for the possibility to fight, uh, long for the possibility to be knights in the army of Christ and to really go out there and be defenders of the truth. And uh, it's one of the most tragic things, I think, from the perspective of Catholic men that uh, oftentimes it seems these days that the hierarchy of the church has basically given up or uh, given up offering those possibilities to us as Catholic men. Of course, the possibilities are there, but it's so much more difficult to find them. It's so much more difficult to discern what the right possibilities are. But it is extremely important, in my opinion, to voluntarily take certain uh, certain sufferings because it's uh, just a possibility of sanctification. So I don't think it's heroic. It's just something we do with uh, pleasure. To, to give such little, uh, such little uh, sacrifices. Amen. Well, I can see from the clouds and the few drops that it's probably time for us to quit. But let me just say one thing. The one thing I've noticed and I appreciate so much is despite all of what's going on, and maybe in some little way because of it, because God can make straight with crooked lines, there's a vitality of faith that I see in you and that I've seen in many families and many fighters for the faith. Despite what's going on, and maybe in a weird way because of it, there's a willingness to fight for this faith that maybe they weren't going to do before. Maybe they were, you know, just being sitting back with the faith. But the confusion in the church has caused more people to get those books and read them, to study their faith, to know their faith, because they know now it's important, because there's no relaxing with it anymore. And it's caused them to fight for the faith in the way they probably never thought they would have to. God bless you, Varo and Helena. Thank you for being with us on John Henry Weston Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. May God bless you all. We'll see you next time from Rome, where it's raining. May God bless you. <laughs>